So I have a question. I'm going to start this with a little, little survey. Um, how many of you would say you're at a point in your life where you feel like you're in a place where you are overcome with gratitude? All right, a few. Good. That's not surprising. It wouldn't be everybody. This is a church, right? We come here to give thanksgiving, but we also pray prayers of intercession, that God would intervene, that God would change things. We're also saying every week, your kingdom come, right? We know that there is work to be done, but I think it's not surprising there would be people in a place of worship that would want to give thanks to God for what God has given them. Um, But like I said, some of us probably aren't there right now. Some of us are going through challenging times. I'm sure some of you are in times of mourning. Some of you are in times of uh, frustration, perhaps. Maybe in times, I know I'll speak for myself, when your schedule sometimes feels a little overwhelming and you wonder if you've overextended yourself in certain places or maybe you're like a ton of people, statistically speaking, who struggle with anxiety, just waiting, holding your breath for that next shoe to drop. Maybe not overcome with gratitude in this season, but worried what what comes next. I want to say uh, very resoundingly and confidently that going through those times where you're not feeling particularly super grateful does not mean you lack faith. This is, this is the promise. You do not lack faith just because you're going through a challenging time. You still possess faith. Going through these times doesn't mean you've lost your faith just because you can't say, wow, thanks again for a great day, God. You aren't faithless by any means. You can still know Know in your heart that Jesus died for you. You can know deep in your bones that God means good for you. You could have the story that we're reading today comes right after Jesus talked about that mustard seed faith. A little bit of faith. You can have a little bit of faith and it can still change the world. It can still transform us. It can still move mountains. But it can also feel in the midst of it like you don't have enough. Like the disciples who say, can we get some more? <laughs> can you increase our faith? It's not because they don't have faith. They just worry. They can't <sighs> quite yet. I think Jesus demonstrates this in the story today as he heals 10 people. And in the midst of their hopelessness, I mean leprosy, imagine at this time what that must have been like to be a part of that community of people afflicted with this disease. You would be separated from your community, separated from your family. You'd be isolated to live amongst others who are afflicted, cut off from their loved ones, because you know if you get close to your loved ones, you're endangering them. You're risking them to the same possible fate. And in the midst of all this suffering, can you imagine what kind of faith it would take to have this glimpse of hope in seeing this Galilean that people are talking about, a preacher, a rabbi from the backwoods, right? And you've heard amazing things about him. And you say, maybe, just maybe if I ask him, this can be a new story. Something different can happen. So you'd risk it. I think that's faith. You say, you know what? Hey, Jesus, help us. At the end of the rope, please help us. And Jesus responds to that little bit of faith and says, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, anybody else here surprised by that response? Because I imagine the guys who suffer from leprosy are struggling with, hey, help us. Okay, go to the priest. What? At least in the Naaman story, you ask them to go take a bath seven times. Is this so? There's no argument. They just go. That's a kind of faith as well. Might as well give it a try, right? 
Might as well go. He said go. Let's go try it. So there's faith there as well. They're going through a very terrible time, but there's still this confidence that, okay, we'll try this. We'll, we'll give it a shot. And they start going. These scales fall off and there's this illness begins to leave them. Their affliction goes away. Imagine the exuberance and joy of watching this take place. What this means for them. People drowning are now giving a chance. There is a new story being told. Jesus heals them. So it says nine of them rush off to confirm their healing with the priests. They return home. I mean, imagine how fast your legs would carry you after this has happened, after being separated from your loved ones for who knows how long, I'm finally able to go back. I've been given a new lease on life. I don't judge these nine for running off to the priests as fast as they can. It's like they got away with something. There wasn't even a bath required. A lot of times Jesus will like spit in the dirt and rub in the sand and do something neat to you. None of that. They didn't even get spit on their face. They were just told, you're better. Go, 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 go. Get to the priest. We got to go to the priest. So they run off. Because can you imagine? What's the first thing you do when you get back? There's a, oh man, I can't wait to sleep in my own bed. Oh man, I can't wait to have dinner. If you're like a grandparent or something, I've, I've seen this with my mom. You're like, I don't care, heaven and earth. I'm kissing those grandbabies when I get home. Right? You just want to get back. So I don't judge them for doing that. They have loved ones to embrace again after being separated for so long. But one comes back. It's a Samaritan. And I wonder, in pointing that out, does the Samaritan have this unique experience of being a foreigner and being healed by this Galilean that makes this healing maybe particularly more powerful? A Galilean is healing these fellow Judeans and he goes, it worked on me too? Faith? My faith, a faith that we don't really agree on a lot of things, this you've been made well. So he, I'm not going to the priest. The priest will disagree with where I worship and how I worship. I'm going back to Jesus, he says. I got to go thank Jesus. I got to go thank God for what has happened. So he, he comes back. He returns to the source, to his actual healer, his actual redeemer, because he couldn't do anything else. He doesn't go back to his family, which I imagine would be the first thing he'd want to do. He has to go back. He has to give thanks. And I think of this difference of going back and forth between the nine who just leave and the one who comes back. And it reminds me a bit of, I don't know why, breathing. When I said they were drowning and Jesus gives them this respite, this rescue, this healing. I think of it like they've all been given this fresh air. They can finally take a deep breath. They inhale Jesus' presence, Jesus' mercy, Jesus' healing, and the nine flee, holding it in their chest because what do they got to do, right? They got to go make sure this is real. They got to go to the priest. They got I imagine the minute they went, ah, they were probably like sitting at home in their own chair or laying in their bed like, I'm back. I'm better. But in the minute, moment, they couldn't, let it go. Because there's obvious joy and excitement. But I don't think there's that relief until, until they can confirm this. And Jesus says, in our reading today, it's changed a little bit, but the, 
I'm not going to go into a word study because it did just say in Timothy not to dwell on words too much. So uh, I'll just say, it says in the, other, in, in like the Greek, um, nine were healed. You were made well. You were made well. And um, I want to give an example of this. I think I know what this means to be the ones who have received that fresh air but haven't been able to let it out quite yet. Um, I had a moment the other day, as some of you may or may not know, uh, when the eye of Hurricane Ian made landfall, it hit my hometown directly. Inglewood, Florida. It got six hours of the eye wall through the night. I'll tell you, from my limited time in Florida, 21 years there, I never saw a Cat 5 hit Inglewood. I've never sat and ridden, ridden one out, but my parents did. Just leave. Anyways, I get it. We're Floridians. We're going to ride it out. I get it. Okay. So I was horrified, of course, as this thing moved from Tampa towards exactly my hometown, and I'm going, ooh, I don't like this. Really don't like this. Because not only my parents, but my wife's parents are there as well. Um, our family is around that area. And I can say, even in the midst of that fear, absolutely, sure, I have faith. I knew God would care for them. I know whether we are awake or we are asleep, we belong to God. But that doesn't mean I can actually breathe yet. I can believe no matter what, God's got them. But I can't really... <sighs> until they're okay. I'd long ago come to believe in God's blessings, right? I know God is good, but you ever feel that? It was, it was a whole day of this until we found out they were okay. For Emily's parents, another day before we were able to contact them and let, let them, they were able to let us know they were okay. Um, it's a long time of holding your breath. But the Samaritan... See, I'm like the nine, right? <clears throat> the Samaritan, however, does something different. Before being declared clean, before being restored to his family, before getting returned back to his life, he needs to exhale. He needs to go back. He needs to go, <sighs> thank you. Thank you for this. He needs to say it. Jesus comments on this. That's where he says, one of you has been made well by your faith. One was made well. See, for me, I would say in the midst of that hurricane, sure, I was cleaned, saved, loved by God, but I was by no means well in the midst of that because I couldn't in that time say thank you, God, because I was too scared. I had to keep it inside. The Samaritan, though, has this kind of faith in Jesus that not only asks for healing, but upon receiving it knows I have only one reaction now, which is to give it back, to be grateful, to let it go, regardless of what comes next. Even though he is yet to be restored fully, he is well, it says. A friend of mine in seminary, uh, he's now like in Pennsylvania, I think, right now, uh, when we would worship in chapel together, he was a kneeler. I didn't grow up in, I grew up in like a church with uh, like movable chairs. There were no kneelers in my church. I never kneeled. But this was something I assumed was like an observance of his because he kneeled a lot. He was a kneeler. And he did it in such a great way that I never felt like he was judging me for not kneeling at the right times. It never felt like demonstrative. He doesn't go like, Argh! 
You know, like he's, he would just, it was so honest. I loved it, you know. Um, and I asked him one time, I go, hey, so was that like your tradition? Is that how you grew up in your church? Did you guys kneel? And he goes, oh, no. He goes, it just seems as I'm, the more I learn, the more I engage with God's mercy, the more I experience the incredible weight of God's forgiveness, provision, and love, I've just realized I can't really stand up straight underneath it. I went, oh, whoa. And he goes, my knees buckle. I have to kneel. I figure I should start from that place. And I was like, that was so poetic. Whoa! And I believe it. Like, what a beautiful thing. He cannot stand up straight. He cannot hold it in. He has to let it back out. The word I'd use for that is a word Paul uses a lot. I would say that person is in Christ. Paul talks about it. Um, no matter what, he says, all of this, that I might be in Christ. Being made well, I think, has something to do with knowing you are in Christ. Like I asked in the beginning, what kind of season are we in? What kind of place are you in? A place of gratitude, a place of struggle, overextended. It could be in the pits of despair. But what Jesus is talking about here, especially in reference to this being made well by faith, is what a faithful life looks like is an awareness that even in the challenging times, even in the good times, good, bad, or otherwise, we are in Christ. And being in Christ with faith, even a small faith, reminds us we are never truly separated. Always in Christ. I think of the hymn we sometimes sing, um, are you familiar with, It Is Well With My Soul? Oh, that one gets me. That's beautiful. It was written by someone who uh, had lost his two daughters in a shipwreck. Lost both his children. He then boarded the same, a similar ship to travel. They were returning home. He went to return home, and when he was over the area where he knew his daughters had perished, he wrote this hymn. He wrote, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate. He has shed his own blood for me. It is well. Even when it's not well. It is truly well with my soul. So back to what I asked at the beginning. What season are you in? Gratitude, struggle, challenge, joy. No matter what you're going through, this week, in this season, hear this. You have, just like the ten, been made clean. You have been made well. You have been washed. You have been born anew in the abiding love of Jesus Christ. You have had promises made to you from the beginning of existence. That you are loved. That you are clean. That you are washed. That promise can never be undone. And if you're going through one of those seasons where you seem like you're holding your breath, hear this. The worst thing that can happen to you is not the last thing that will happen to you. Know this. Because the tomb is empty. Trust in that. Let that air out and know that even in the midst of darkness, the tomb 
is empty. I always have to remind myself that. Nobody put Jesus back in there. He's still out there. Jesus is not in there. And that means we aren't either. Because where are we? We are in him. And for that I say, thanks be to God for that blessed assurance. It is well with my soul. Amen.